You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I'm Nick. I've been on staff here for, let's just say, a long while. We'll leave it there. Uh, so, uh, Welcome, all of you. Dads, we're glad you're here. I hope you had a donut or three like I did. It's so good to celebrate donuts with you. I mean, dads with you. <laughs> well, if you were here last week, you know we're in the middle of a three-week series on the book of Philemon. It's a small letter written by the Apostle Paul to a wealthy, powerful Christian named Philemon. Now, last week, Fred, he shared about this letter from the perspective of Pastor Paul. And today, I'm here to share about this letter from the perspective of our runaway slave, Onesimus. And next week, Sarah Hogue will join us up here as she shares from the perspective of the powerful Philemon. Now, this is a short book. It's a very short letter. Uh, You almost miss it as you pass through it in your Bible if you turn your pages. But we wanted to take a good, long, careful look at this letter. We wanted to do that because we believe it handles some really big, important issues that face us today. It handles issues of power dynamics, slavery, and reconciliation. In this letter, God sets the example for how we, as kingdom kingdom people, are to interact with these, these topics. Now today, I said I'm sharing from the perspective of our runaway slave Onesimus. And right away, I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. I'm talking from the position of the oppressed from this slave in this letter. I'm engaging with the question, what do we do when we find ourselves in the position where others hold power over us? And that's awkward, because I'm a white, middle-class American male. I'm the power in our society in a lot of ways. Not only that, I stand here before you teaching in this church this morning in a position of power. And power brings bias. I am biased. And so I have to work hard to enter into the mindset, the perspective of a slave 2,000 years ago. I have to work hard to enter into the mindset of a minority in our society today. I have, to enter, I have to work hard to enter into the mindset of the poor and the powerless that surround us in our communities. I hope I've worked hard enough. But if I haven't, I ask just like Fred last week, that you would give me grace. I ask that you would be patient and we would be kind with one another. My intention is not to offend or trigger anyone here this morning. I want us desperately to be people of the kingdom of God, people who are shaped deeply by God and what he has to say. And I think looking at this letter and these topics begin to shape us. They begin to reveal some of God's heart on these issues. So stay with me this morning. Don't tune out because I didn't say this or I said that. Please, let's be gracious and patient towards one another. Now, I owe a lot of the shape of this message to a brilliant African-American author and theologian, Howard Thurman. His book, Jesus and the Disinherited, has spoken deeply to me over the recent weeks as I've prepared for this message in this series. It's an excellent read. It's only about 100 pages, so you can get through it quickly. 
you know, actually, we'd probably profit most if I just sat here and read that to you this morning. But I'm not going to do that. Um, I think it's, he's deeply insightful and understands God's heart for the oppressed. Read it if you have a chance. I'll buy you a copy. Come talk to me. Now, Thurman, just to give you some background, his theology of radical nonviolence, it shaped much of the civil rights movement. Many of the key leaders were mentored by him, most notably Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is one of the guys who got it right. He taught us how to think Christianly in the face of oppression and how to respond. So that's why I listened to him. That's why I stopped to hear from him as I prepared. So as we dive into our message, as we look at things from the perspective of our runaway slave, as we enter into his mindset, I want to take a pause and, and share a story from my childhood. I think it helps us get into that understanding. So bear with me. It was a cold spring, rainy day when I was six years old in Roselle, Illinois. As the thunderstorms rolled through our neighborhood, my brothers and sister and I, we decided to make a fort in our basement. And this wouldn't just be any fort. This would be an epic fort that spanned the length and width of our entire basement. There would be couch cushions forming walls and exercise equipment holding up blanket roofs. And there would be separate rooms for each of us to defend. And of course, Nerf guns and basketballs and footballs everywhere to defend ourselves against anybody who might try to take our fortress from us. And in building this fort, as was customary when I was growing up, uh, I chose to disobey some of the rules I knew in my household. This was common. I, I've always seen rules as more suggestions and guidelines than hard, uh, hard rules to follow. And this is why I found myself in trouble often as a kid. So as I was trying to anchor the, the roof of my room, I reached up high where I knew I wasn't supposed to for something heavy to anchor it. The fireplace mantle sat on the fireplace mantle, my dad's castle that he had sculpted and painted himself. The prized possession of his is there for a reason out of my reach. And so on my toes, I reached it and stuck my blanket under it and anchored it down. My roof was set. Now, as we went along and played in our fort for a while, eventually civil war broke out, which was probably on my instigation, honestly. So as footballs are whizzing by and Nerf guns are, are being blasted and, and darts are flying my way, I found myself out of ammunition. And so I retreated back to my corner of the fortress. I dove over the cushion wall and through the blanket roof, followed quickly by the castle as it crashed to the stone bench that lined the fireplace. There it sat in pieces. My heart sank. My spine tingled as fear consumed me. I was going to be in so much trouble. I wanted to disappear. I schemed of ways to hide, to put it back together, and leave. Now, I love my dad. We have a great relationship. But when you're six years old and you've broken a rule and you know you're going to get in trouble, and that dad will be de dealing out that discipline, fear courses through your veins. You are consumed by it. What's worse is I had to wait for dad to come home that day. I had to wait to face my punishment. See, Dad was all-powerful, and I was weak little six-year-old Nick who was in trouble. 
Not only had I broken a rule, I had also destroyed something my dad cherished. My heart ached for the wrong I had committed. So as I waited for him to, to return home, the minutes seemed to, to just slowly crawl on by. My siblings went on playing, and I just kind of dreaded the rest of the day. My dad arrived home, and I sat busying myself and waiting for mom and my siblings to address him, and I slowly approached with that shameful head droop. And I apologized. I confessed for what I had done. My dad, he was gracious. He affirmed his love for me. He forgave me, and he made sure I knew I wasn't to break the rules, that they were there for a reason. Now, why did I tell this story? I, I, I believe the emotions I felt, the fear, the desire to hide and fix it, the anger I felt at myself for breaking the rules and, and, and hurting my dad, I believe those are the same emotions Onesimus, our runaway slave, is feeling as he had to return to his master Philemon. I believe those are the emotions he was feeling because those are the characteristic traits of the oppressed, the marginalized, those who don't have power in a situation or our society. Fear, deception, and anger are the hounds of hell that chase those with their backs against the wall, Thurman says. The thesis of this book. So this morning, I want us to see that how fear, deception, and anger are washed away by the gospel. I want us to see how the work of Jesus Christ restores the nobility and the identity of those it has been stripped from. When we find ourselves in a position where others have power over us, the gospel restores our dignity and levels the playing field. And so, as we begin to lean into those statements to understand them more, let's consider the situation Onesimus finds himself in. Our runaway slave, where is he at? And as we glean from this letter, Onesimus, he's a slave, he's a runaway slave, and Paul is sending him back to his master, Philemon. From careful study elsewhere in the New Testament, particularly the letter of Colossians, another letter Paul wrote, we can piece together that Philemon was a wealthy homeowner, in the city of Colossae, and a small church met in his home. Paul describes Philemon as a dear fellow worker, a beloved brother. Philemon also owned slaves. One of those slaves was Onesimus. Now, as Fred mentioned last week, slavery back then is very different than the slavery of North American history, the hist our history, what we think of. One major difference is slavery in the Roman Empire was not racially motivated. It also served a purpose for conquered people to be assimilated into Roman uh, society where they were, their culture and their identity was erased as they were Romanized. It may be different, but nevertheless, it was slavery. It was troubling. It was deeply wrong. Paul is writing to correct this wrong. In his sphere of influence, he's reaching out to the church to correct and instruct Philemon how to fix the systemic wrong. He's writing to persuade Philemon to free Onesimus 
and treat him as an equal, as a brother in Christ. He needs to persuade Philemon to treat Onesimus as an equal because slavery has dehumanized him. Slavery of Onesimus has oppressed and reduced him to something lesser. Slavery establishes dominance and dehumanizes. When one person owns another person, there's a stripping of their personhood in both parties. The oppressor deceives himself into thinking he's godlike as he looks at another image bearer of God and treats them as a possession for their gain. And the oppressor loses agency, loses their ability to act freely in society. So there's a loss of humanity that needs to be restored, and Paul is calling for that. As we mentioned, Onesimus was Philemon's slave in Colossae, yet he's in Rome, and Paul needs to send him back. Somehow, in Colossae, he found a way to get free and to make his way to Rome. Now that journey is about a thousand miles, and scholars unanimously agree it would have taken some money to do so. I think that we can, we can get there. How does a slave, a runaway slave, find the funding to do so? Well, most likely he stole from Philemon to get there. That's what Paul is trying to address late in the letter in 18 and 19 when he says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. As a runaway slave, Philemon, by Roman law, had nearly unlimited privilege of punishment towards Onesimus, even up to execution. He was property, not a human. He could be dealt with as he felt. Add to the fact that Onesimus stole from Philemon, and we, we realize Onesimus is in a pretty bleak situation, isn't he? If he ever encounters Philemon again, the stakes are high for what could happen to him. His debt is great. So Onesimus, like all those living with their backs against a wall, Onesimus lived in fear of retribution, fear of violence brought against him, fear of the debt he owed. When he was made a slave, his dignity was stripped and he was made lesser. He was treated as property. And in being treated as so, he lost his personhood. But then, then he meets Paul, right? And we know he met Paul maybe because he was wandering in the streets of Rome and heard of Paul. Maybe he sought out Paul because Paul was powerful in the church and had authority over Philemon. We're not sure. But either way, we know Onesimus meets Paul. He hears the gospel, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. Paul, he refers to him as a dear helper. He calls him his spiritual son, his very heart, a beloved brother. Onesimus has become dear to Paul. Not only that, in verse 11, uh, Paul, in a, in a very typical Pauline way, he, he, he uses a play on words to describe what has happened to Onesimus. He was formerly useless to Philemon as a runaway slave, but now, as a brother in Christ, he's useful to them both. What we miss in the English here is that Onesimus, our slave's name, it means useful, profitable, it was a very common name for slaves in this time. Slave masters gave this to them, hoping they would live into that identity, that they would make it true. 
Paul is playing with the name and with the value and identity of Onesimus here. He's telling of a transformation that has occurred in the life of of our runaway slave. Onesimus has been saved. He's been made new. He was useless to Philemon as a runaway slave, but now he's useful and a dear brother to them both for the sake of the gospel. Paul, he is elevating Onesimus back up. Can you see it? He's putting him back at his rightful position as a human, not as a possession. He's restoring him as an image bearer of God, not as a tool for his financial gain. This is Paul living out kingdom theology. The theology he proclaims in Colossians 3.11. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. In the kingdom of God, there is no division. Economic barriers, power, race, culture, they've all been dismantled. All are equal. All stand before Christ in unity. We all stand on level ground before the cross of Christ. Well, Paul's kingdom theology, it, it reestablishes the equality between these two, between the slave and the master. But it calls for something else, doesn't it? Kingdom theology, it calls for reconciliation. When wrong has been done, it needs to be reconciled. Jesus taught us this, and Paul has, been, has learned from Jesus, and so he calls Onesimus to reconciliation. Jesus taught us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going, to the, going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last And so Paul calls for Onesimus to be reconciled to his brother Philemon, to do so outside the Roman legal system, which will undoubtedly heap on more debt and punishment on Onesimus. Onesimus has committed a Roman legal wrong in fleeing as a slave, but he's also committed a moral wrong in stealing from his master on his way out the door. Paul would rather they settle this as brothers and treat each other as equals. Now, I'm not sure uh, what Philemon felt. I'm sure he was afraid. I think we can, we can probably assume that. He was afraid to face Philemon. He had no guarantee he would be received as an equal, even, even though Paul writes this letter on his behalf. He had no idea if he would be punished, put to death, or just further enslaved. I wonder if, if Onesimus, if he appealed to Paul, from Deuteronomy, showing that the heart of God has always been that the, the foreign slave would remain protected in Israel rather than be returned to their foreign master to face retribution. Maybe, maybe he pointed out that, that Philemon, he owned me as a slave. 
isn't that a greater, deeper wrong than me stealing and running away? Can't we just deal with that first, or only that? We're not sure how he responded. We do know, and some of you pointed this out in small groups, he could have just took off. He could have left. He could have, he could have chosen not to face Philemon. He could have chosen to remain a wanderer, a runaway slave, and just bounce, stay hidden and bounce around the Roman Empire. I'm sure, I'm sure he was tempted to do this. I'm sure he was tempted because like all those living with their backs against the wall, Onesimus was likely tempted to deceive, to hide, and otherwise hide from his oppressor, to retreat and not run the risk of retribution. Despite his fear and whatever appeals he may have made, we know he returned to Philemon. He was the one that carried the letter. We know he returned to Philemon. He returned as a transformed man, a person whose dignity was restored. He returned to Philemon as a brother who could look him in the eye, hand him the letter from Paul, and appeal to be treated as an equal and set free. He returned to Philemon transformed because that is the power of the gospel. Paul tells us elsewhere that anyone who is a believer in Christ is a new creation. He's transformed, old to new, death to life. This is Onesimus. This is you and this is me. We are new creations. We have been made new in Christ. And just like Onesimus, we've been restored and dignified despite our circumstances, despite the oppression or the systems or powers over us. We have been raised to new life. We have been made new. And so, a weak slave returns to face his powerful master with nothing but a letter from a church leader far away and the power of the gospel in him. The journey back to Colossae, it must have been filled with mixed emotions. Onesimus must have been torn. On one hand, he must have been excited about the prospect of his freedom, encouraged by the kind words Paul has spoken of him on his behalf. But it would make total sense if he was worried about punishment, he was fearful. Despite mixed emotions, he makes the journey. He, he goes to be reconciled for the wrongs he has committed and to appeal, appeal for his ultimate freedom. Now that journey of mixed emotions, it's one I'm very familiar with. For over two decades, I've met with men regularly, weekly, confess sin, and invite input into my life. It's an accountability group you might know by. We call them root groups around here a lot of times. And despite years of doing this weekly, every time I have to confess sin, I'm fearful. I'm torn. How will they respond? How will they receive me? Will I be treated with grace and dignity? Will I be belittled and shamed? I'd be handled harshly. As people of God, we long to obey Jesus. There's a desire to do the right thing in us. As kingdom people, we still fear others and how they will receive us. 
We fear them because we wonder, will they be kingdom people as well? Will they receive us as kingdom people with grace and humility? Or will they be worldly people who receive us with judgment and contempt? I think these are some of the heart questions rolling around in Onesimus as he makes the thousand-mile journey back to Colossae. Beyond the heart questions, I think it could be easy and even understandable for us to see Onesimus maybe growing bitter or angry at Philemon for holding him as a slave. You know, he could have chosen the route of judgment towards Philemon. Slavery was wrong. Paul's saying this. He's saying, treat me as an equal. He could have washed his hands of him, right? I'm done with you. You're dead to me, Philemon. This is just too much. I can't forgive this. As I talked to some of you in small group, you pointed this out. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't run. He doesn't hold bitterness. He doesn't hate him. He goes back. Instead, Onesimus, he follows Paul's counsel. And he seeks reconciliation out of love for his brother. And how thankful I am, and we should be, that he did. If he hadn't, we wouldn't have this letter. It would never have been delivered. It would have been lost with Philemon to history. We wouldn't have had the chance for the heart of God, for his kingdom people to be people who love rather than hate, who come to light rather than hide, people who have dignity rather than strip. We also wouldn't have had the chance for Paul to disciple Philemon in what kingdom theology is and how it doesn't make sense in God's design for one human to own another human. Like all those living with their backs against the wall, Onesimus must have been tempted to be bitter and angry. Makes sense. But instead, by the power of the gospel, he chose to love and to be reconciled, to return to his master and appeal for his freedom. And so, through the perspective of our runaway slave Onesimus, we see the transformational work of the gospel in the lives of those who live in the shadow of the powerful. When we find ourselves in situations where others hold power over us, we choose to live as kingdom people. Because the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, the hounds of hell have been laid to rest once for all. In the kingdom of God, there is no weak and strong the slave is equal to the master. There's no place for fear in the relationship between two brothers. Onesimus and Philemon can stand eye to eye as equals as they reconcile. In the kingdom of God, there is no hiding. All is brought into the light. Truth reigns. There's no place to deceive or hide from the wrong you have done because grace is plentiful and God has forgiven all. Onesimus, he can seek forgiveness and he can appeal for Philemon to do the right thing. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for hatred or bitterness. Love for one another is foremost. It's what we're called to. There's no place to harbor a grudge or to hold wrongdoing over one another. Philemon, 
can receive Onesimus as a dear brother and forgive him. And Onesimus can stand worshiping the Lord side by side with his former slave master as he's forgiven him for the wrong committed against him. So align in life, as we find ourselves in a position where others have power over us, as we stand, we stand firm in our identity in Christ with our dignity restored, we choose to engage with power rather than hide from it. And we choose to love rather than hate. And we do all these things because the gospel restores our dignity and it levels the playing field. Would you pray with me this morning?